0: Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 19 of Cryptique. I'm joined by my brother from the ill side, Ryan, the only man I know who has parallel parked a train. Tell the listeners what the ill side is.
1: (laughs) No, no. I, I have this beautiful mind thing that happened. Or no, what is it? Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code, where... Like, it's all these little tangential connections, and I'm hearing, like, this Mexican music, and I start thinking about Mexican restaurants, then I started thinking about Mexican beer, then I thought about (laughs) Dos Equis, then I thought about the Dos Equis, like, guy. So that's interesting that (laughs) I was thinking about him earlier.
0: Ryan and I want to keep bringing you all this free content on a weekly basis, but we need more subscribers. That's how we earn ad spots. So, please click that subscribe button and you'll be notified every time a new episode drops, and it will really help us out. Also, check out the Movie Hal podcast for the latest updates on the silver screen. And if you're into true crime, check out Exploring Evil. You can find both on your favorite podcast platform. So, my man from the ill side, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight we are talking about the legend of the Piasaw bird. All right, so we got the following information off of Madison, Illinois, dot org, and this was written by Beverly Bowser. No relation to the giant
1: lizard that kidnaps princesses. No relation. As Father Jacques Marquette, a Jesuit missionary, and Louis Joliet, a fur trader, paddled down the Mississippi River near the future site of Alton in 1673, they came across two large figures painted on the side of the bluff. Marquette wrote in his journal, As we were descending the river, we saw high rocks with hideous monsters painted on them, and upon which the bravest Indian dare not look. They are as large as a calf, with head and horns like a goat. Their eyes are red beard like a tiger's and face like a man's their tails are so long that they pass over their bodies and between their legs under their bodies ending like a fish's tail they're painted red green and black and so well drawn that i could not believe they were drawn by the indians and for what purpose they were drawn seems to me a mystery and this is a drawing what they're talking about is something that you know i drive by all the time Mm because i I'm not that far from Alton. There are some restaurants in Alton that I really like, a couple shops. You, you mentioned having gone to Raging Rivers, which is in Grafton, just mm-hmm. north of there. So you've definitely passed this drawing as well. Yes. Yeah, it's still there. It's fenced off. It's preserved. And the Piasaw Bird is something that is pretty well embraced by that mm-hmm. community still. They're, I mean, the main road into town is Piasaw. Mm-hmm. there are businesses with that in there or they use that imagery in their logos or their advertising
0: and that image is going to be what you see in the cover art this original description of the hideous monsters painted
1: on the bluffs did not include wings the wings were added later in the pious and indian tradition of illinois written by mr john russell of bluffdale illinois in 1836 Russell was a Baptist minister and professor of Greek and Latin at Shirtliff College in Upper Alton. Shirtliff Okay. We'll, we'll say that's how that's pronounced. And served as editor of a local paper called the Family Magazine. The story of the Piasaw bird, although fiction had an extensive circulation. Russell took the name Piasaw from the Piasaw Creek which ran through the main ravine in downtown Alton in its early days. Puyasaw Creek has since been filled in and drainage pipes added and paved over to form Puyasaw Street. So there's Puyasaw Street. See, something Mm -hmm. I didn't even know. According to the story published by Russell, the creature depicted by the painting on the bluff was a huge bird that lived in the cliffs. Russell claimed that this creature attacked and devoured people in nearby Indian villages shortly after the corpses of a war gave it a taste for human flesh. The legend claims that a local Indian chief named Chief Atoga Autoga managed to slay the monster using a plan given to him in a dream from the Great Spirit. The chief ordered his bravest warriors to hide near the entrance of the Piasau Bird's cave, which Russell also claimed to have explored. Atoga then acted as bait to lure the creature out into the open. As the monster flew down towards the Indian chief, his warriors slew it with a volley of poisoned arrows. Russell claimed that the mural was painted by the Indians as a commemoration of this heroic event. In the book, Records of Ancient Races in the Mississippi Valley, written in 1887 by William McAdams, the author says he contacted John Russell, and Russell admitted the story was somewhat illustrated. To Professor McAdams, the story had little, if any, ethnological significance. To add more confusion, John Russell published a different version of the Piasaw Bird Legend on the October 28, 1847, Illinois Journal of Springfield. In this version, the Piasa was a giant condor that was slain by Alpiora, a courageous Indian who killed the monster single-handedly. He returned to his original version of the legend in the July 14, 1848 issue of the Evangelical Magazine and Gospel Advocate. This is the original story of the Piasa Bird by John Russell.
0: Just for listeners that are unaware, first off, this area was heavily populated by Native Americans, and there's actually a mound-building culture that thrived near the area. Also of note is that as of right now, the biggest bird that we know of in the area is a common turkey vulture. A big bird can be intimidating, I would assume, but it's not something that's going to be able to carry something off. I know that vultures are raptors, but I don't think that their talons really permit carrying something off. They're, they're not hunters, you know, they feed on carrion. Now, I'm not familiar with the fossil record of the area, but I have not heard of any other bird known to inhabit the area that's bigger than the common turkey vulture, which maybe has a wingspan of, what do you think, four feet? tops yeah something you know, it's like a, that. it's a relation of the condor but not not nearly as big as the california condor or the andean condor right in john russell's story the pious saw an indian tradition of illinois he stated no part of the united states not even the highlands of the hudson can contend in wild and romantic scenery with the bluffs of Illinois on the Mississippi between the mouths of the Missouri and Illinois rivers. On one side of the river, often at the water's edge, a perpendicular wall of rock arises to the height of some hundred feet. Generally on the opposite shore is a level bottom or prairie of several miles and extending to a similar bluff that runs parallel with the river. And this is not something that's super important for you guys to try and visualize as we're going along. One of these ranges commences at Alton and extends for many miles along the bank of the Mississippi. This would be the eastern bank. In descending the river to Alton, the traveler will observe between that town and the mouth of the Illinois a narrow ravine through which a small stream discharges its waters into the Mississippi. This stream is the Piasaw. Its name is Indian and signifies the Illini, the bird which devours men. Near the mouth of this stream, on the smooth and perpendicular face of the bluff at an elevation which no human art can reach, is the cut figure of an enormous bird with its wings extended. The animal which the figure represents was called by the Indians the Piasa. From this is derived the name of the stream. The tradition of the piasa is still current among the tribes of the upper Mississippi and those who have inhabited the valley of the Illinois and is briefly this, many thousand moons before the arrival of the Pale Faces, when the great Magalonyx and Mastodon, whose bones are now dug up, were Chief otoga and the Piasaw Bird still living in the land of green prairies, there existed a bird of such dimensions that he could easily carry off in his talons a full-grown deer. The deer here get to be probably about four foot at the shoulders and way more than an average adult male. Having obtained a taste for human flesh from that time, he would prey on nothing else. He was as artful as he was powerful and would dart suddenly and unexpectedly upon an Indian, bear him off into one of the Caves of the Bluff, and devour him. Hundreds of warriors attempted for years to destroy him but without success. Whole villages were nearly depopulated, and consternation spread through all the tribes of the Illionai. Such was the state of affairs when Autoga, the great chief of the Illionai, whose fame extended beyond the Great Lakes, separating himself from the rest of the tribe, fasted in solitude for the space of a whole moon, and prayed to the Great Spirit, the master of life, that he would protect his children from the Piasa. On the last night of the fast, the Great Spirit appeared to Autoga in a dream, and directed him to select twenty of his bravest warriors, each armed with a bow and poisoned arrows, and conceal them in a designated spot. Near the place of concealment, another warrior was to stand in open view as a victim for the Piasa, which they must shoot the instant he pounced upon his prey. When the chief awoke in the morning, he thanked the great spirit and, returning to his tribe, told them of his vision. The warriors were quickly selected and placed in ambush as directed. Autoga offered himself as the victim. That is a chief. That is a leader. That's the person I want running our community. Someone who offers himself up for the betterment of the people. Right? We don't see that anymore, do we?
1: No. uh, I've actually thought about that before. I think the last... I think, God, I want to say, was Washington the only president to lead troops into battle?
0: Uh, didn't Roosevelt? He, he had the Rough Riders, right?
1: Yeah, and that was that was not during his time as a president, though. Mm. Yeah, so Washington in 1794 led, down, led uh, troops to put down a citizen's revolt known as the Whiskey gotcha. Rebellion. Yeah I've kind of thought that before Like being willing to do what, Like being willing to do the things you're asking Other people to do Or Mm -hmm. just being the one to put yourself In harm's way
0: Be the leader you want to follow I see that on t-shirts And we just don't see that anymore But he was willing to die For his people Uh. Placing himself in open view on the bluffs He soon saw the Piasaw perched on the cliff Eyeing his prey The chief drew up his manly form to his utmost height, and planting his feet firmly upon the earth, he began to chant the death song of an Indian warrior. The moment after, the Piasaw rose into the air and swift as the thunderbolt darted down on his victim. Scarcely had the horde creature reached his prey before every bow was sprung and every arrow was sent quivering to the feather into its body. The uttered a fearful scream that sounded far over the opposite side of the river and expired. Autoga was unharmed. Not an arrow, not even the talons of the bird had touched him. The master of life, in admiration of Autoga's deed, had held over him an invisible shield. There was the wildest rejoicing among the Illini and the brave chief was carried in triumph to the council house, where it was solemnly agreed that... In memory of the great event in their nation's history, the image of the Piasa should be engraved on the bluff. Such is the Indian tradition. Of course I cannot vouch for its truth. This much, however, is certain. That the figure of a huge bird cut in the solid rock is still there, and at a height that is perfectly inaccessible. How and for what purpose it was made, I leave it for others to determine. Even at this day, an Indian never passes the spot in his canoe without firing his gun at the figure of the Piasaw. The marks of the balls on the rock are almost innumerable. And he's referring to musket fire. The rock does not have testicles. (laughs) (laughs) So he also visited the cave of the Piasaw and will tell you all about what he found on the ill side of the break.
1: hey my name is ryan and i'm pretty sure i'm joe and we are the hosts of movie hell a podcast all about movies and pop culture we're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you yeah we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies tv and pop culture in general so why not share it the objective of movie hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid new stuff to see and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy. And if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else Find podcasts are curated.
0: Welcome back to Cryptique. What did they find in the cave, Ryan? Near the close of March
1: of the present year, 1836, I was induced to visit the bluffs below the mouth of the Illinois River above that of the Piasaw. My curiosity was principally directed to the examination of a cave connected with the above tradition as one of those to which the bird had carried his human victims. Proceeded by an intelligent guide who carried a spade, I set out on my excursion, The cave was extremely difficult to access, and at one point in our progress, I stood at an elevation of 150 feet on the perpendicular face of the bluff, with barely room to sustain one foot. The unbroken wall towered above me, while below was the river. After a long and perilous climb, we reached the cave, which was about 50 feet above the surface of the river. By the aid of a long pole placed on a projecting rock, and the upper end touching the mouth of the cave, we succeeded in entering it. Nothing could be more impressive than the view from the entrance of the cavern. The Mississippi was rolling in silent grandeur beneath us. High over our heads, a single cedar tree hung its branches over the cliff, and on one of the dead, dry limbs was seated a bald eagle. No other sign of life was near us. The Sabbath stillness rested on the scene. Not a cloud was visible on the heavens. Not a breath of air was stirring. The broad Mississippi was before us, calm and smooth as a lake. The landscape presented the same wild aspect it did before it had met the eye of the white man. The roof of the cavern was vaulted and the top was hardly less than 20 feet high. The shape of the cavern was irregular, but so far as I could judge the bottom would have averaged 20 by 30 feet. The floor of the cavern throughout its whole extent was one mass of human bones. Skulls and other bones were mingled in the utmost confusion. To what depth they extended, I was unable to decide, but we dug to the depth of three or four feet in every part of the cavern, and still we found only bones. The remains of thousands must have been deposited here. How and by whom and for what purpose, it is
0: impossible
1: to conjecture.
0: So, we're taking his word for it, and more than likely, it was a burial site, not a place where... The Piasaw had killed thousands and taken them to be eaten. But if the Native Americans in the area at that time had no idea of the history of the place, you know, a couple hundred, three hundred years ago, there could have been a tribe that buried their dead there. So automatically... We assume the worst, that this really was a giant bird that, you know, ate thousands of people. But in any case, we'll leave it up to you guys. Let's talk about the paintings on the bluff. So the creatures painted on the bluffs near Alton were visible at least until 1845. A few years later, the face of the bluff was gradually quarried away for the purpose of making lime. And about the time... Civil War commenced, all traces of the ancient picture had disappeared. In later years, the Piasaw bird, using the John Russell story as a guide, was painted on the bluffs. This time, wings were added. This tradition is continued to this day. The Piasaw by Henry Lewis in the book The Valley of the Mississippi Illustrated, 1839, a painting of the Piasaw bird appears with wings. This book was written a few years after John Russell's story. It was Professor William McAdams, believe, who also traveled the Mississippi and visited the site of the creatures on the bluff, made a sketch of what they saw dimly outlined being what remained of Marquette's famous monsters. Why Lewis's sketch included wings remains conjecture. Did Lewis actually see wings on the monster, or did he add them after reading the story of the Piasaw by John Russell? We may never know. According to Professor William McAdams, Three or four miles above Alton, below the mouth of the Piasaw Creek, is a series of these old pictographs, the most prominent of which were the outlines of two huge birds without wings. They were painted or stained in the rock with a reddish-brown pigment and were situated on the bluff more than 100 feet above the river. On the top of the bluff above these pictographs were a number of small ancient mounds. When excavated, it was found that they contained human remains. These drawings and mounds have long since faded away. According to The History of Madison County, in 1882, painted on a bluff near Alton were two figures representing the good and the evil Manitou, or life force or spirit. Large numbers of Indians visited the site frequently to worship, shooting their arrows or guns at the evil Manitou. Was the Piasaw a symbol of the evil Manitou that brought drought, war, and sickness? According to Father Marquette, he and Joliet were warned before their long journey down the Mississippi of a Manitow spirit which they could not pass. So let's talk about Argentavis magnificens.
1: Argentavis magnificens was among the largest flying birds ever to exist. While it is still considered the heaviest flying bird of all time, Argentavis was likely surpassed in wingspan by the Pelagornis sandersi which is estimated to have possessed wings some 20% longer than Argentavis, and which was described in 2014. Sometimes called the giant pteratorn, it is an extinct species known from three sites in northwestern Argentina dating to the late Miocene, where a good sample of fossils has been obtained. The single known humerus, or upper arm bone, specimen of Argentavis is somewhat damaged. Even so, it allows a fairly accurate estimate of its length. Argentavis' humerus was only slightly shorter than an entire human arm. The species apparently had stout, strong legs and large feet, which enabled it to walk with ease. The bill was large, rather slender, and had a hooked tip with a wide gape. Argentavis' wingspan estimates varied widely depending on the method used for scaling or regression analysis or comparisons with the California condor. At one time, wingspans have been published... the species up to 26 feet 3 inches but more recent estimates put the wingspan more likely 21 feet 4 inches argentavis had an estimated height when standing on the ground that was roughly equivalent to that of a person at 4 foot 11 inches to 5 foot 11 inches furthermore its total length from bill tip to tail tip was approximately 11 feet 6 inches Prior published weights gave Argentavis a body mass of 180 pounds, but more refined techniques show a more typical mass would have likely been up to 159 pounds, although weights could have varied depending on conditions. And the living bird with the largest wingspan is the wandering albatross, spanning up to 12 feet 2 inches. New world vultures such as the condor are thought to be the closest living relations to Argentavis and other teratorns. The ability to fly is not a simple question of weight ratios, except in extreme cases. Size and structure of the wing must also be taken into account. The largest flying creatures overall that are known to have existed are not birds, but instead distantly related archosaurs. Because of its large size and ability to fly, Argentavis suffered hardly any predation, and mortality was mainly from old age and disease. From the size and structure of its wings, it is inferred that the creature flew mainly by soaring, using flapping flight only during short periods. It is probable that it used thermal currents as well. Especially for takeoff, it would have depended on the wind. Argentavis may have used mountain slopes and headwinds to take off, and probably could manage to do so from even gently sloping terrain with little effort. It may have flown and lived much like the modern Andean condor, scanning large areas of land from aloft for carry-on.
0: So real quick, first off, these measurements are made based on one bone. And I'm not a scientist, and I know that there are human-like creatures or, or homo creatures uh-huh. that they have kind of reconstructed from like a molar and stuff like that. And, and I just don't see how that's completely accurate. That's just my feeling on it, I don't know how you feel, but if you're thinking about this bird taking off, think of a hang glider and how the people on hang gliders get started, and I think that's basically what they're saying.
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of the image it got for me too.
0: Let's talk about feeding.
1: Feeding. This species seems less aerodynamically suited for predation than its relatives. It probably preferred to scavenge for carrion, and it is possible that it habitually chased carnivores from their kills. Teratorns generally had long, eagle-like beaks and are believed to have been active predators. Argentavis may have also ambushed some small live prey, such as large rodents, small armadillos, and the young of large animals such as ground sloths. The species would have required about 5.5 to 11 pounds of meat each day. When hunting actively, it would have probably swooped from high above onto its prey, which it usually would have been able to grab with its bill, kill, and swallow without landing. However, they may too have lain in wait from a ground position, which would have rendered them grounded until heavy winds allowed them to fly again. Skull structures suggest that it ate most of its prey whole rather than tearing off pieces of flesh. Was this the fabled Piasa?
0: So there's no remains that I'm aware of that have been found in North America. I believe these are all in Argentina, gaining it the name Argentavis. Now there is the legend of Thunderbirds, and I'm sure that most of our listeners are familiar with that. Basically, they are named Thunderbirds because the Native Americans said that they were so big... That when they flapped their wings, they made the sound of thunder. So that's interesting. And that may be part of another episode one day, but we don't really need to get into it too deep here. But there's an interesting story that took place in Illinois, not far from where this happened. Are you familiar with this story? The boy who was apparently attacked and carried off? No. No, I'm not. Okay, so this was uh, July of 1977, and this was in Lawndale, Illinois. So, basically, this young man, Marlon Lowe, was just outside playing, and I, I think he was between 7 and 11, but allegedly what happened is he and some other witnesses noticed these giant birds in trees that were much bigger than anything they'd ever seen. And I have never seen a turkey vulture in a tree or on a power pole or anything like that. But I have seen them on the ground. And I mean, they're big, but they're not something that is going to you know, set you into a panic or something where you're going to say like, oh my gosh, what is that? It's gigantic. But that's how these two birds were described. And one of them swooped down and as Marlin tells the story, he was running away and the bird dug its claws into his shoulders and picked him up and flew, I believe, for about 20 feet or so before dropping him. Now, let's just say a conservative estimate. Let's say this seven-year-old boy weighed 50 pounds. There is nothing alive today that can pick up 50 pounds and fly with it. There are falconers that use, I believe they use golden eagles. And I don't know why they're called falconers, but these are hunters and they have trained these birds, or at least the birds have basically swooped down on prey on cliffs, like goats and stuff like that, and they knock them off the cliff. There is a kind of famous video of a golden eagle going after a deer and killing the deer. The problem is there's no scale. So... The deer could be a foot and a half at the shoulder, and it could be four foot. We don't know, but the bird doesn't fly off with it. You know, he knocks it down, and the attacks are gruesome. These raptors hit with a, you know, a large amount of force, and they puncture skulls. Uh, the harpy eagle is famous in South America for preying on primates and they find them with holes in their skulls from where the talons have hit we're talking about very small primates we're not talking about like howler monkeys or anything these birds can and do kill prey that's you know bigger than them but they don't fly off with it and i don't know of any bird that can fly with more than like a five or seven pound, you know, they can fly off with a very tiny monkey or a rabbit or a squirrel, but there's no way that they could pick up a boy with a conservative estimate of 50 pounds. But that's the story that they told. And the birds were never seen again. They were never reported again. There's a few eyewitnesses, but who knows? We don't know everything. It's an interesting story. Maybe these were, you know, the last two of a an unknown species of raptor. Maybe they were migrating following food or, or whatever, but this is the story that was told. So I thought that was worth telling. And obviously, everybody exaggerates. You know, if you see a black bear that intimidated you, well... It's probably not a four foot tall black bear. It's a seven foot tall black bear. If you get in a fight, the guy that beat you up wasn't six foot tall and 180 pounds. He was six foot five and 280 pounds, right? So there's a bit of uh, wiggle room in this story, but it's very interesting. What What do you think? I mean, can you think of anything that would be alive today that could fly off with something that's more than say 15 pounds
1: no no the eagles you were talking about that are used by hunters was about all all i could think of during this Mm -hmm. um and yeah it seems like some of the bigger birds go after carrion like we were talking about in the Mm -hmm. the story
0: they use their size to scare other things off you know if you're a fox and you know, three turkey vultures drop down and they all have their wings spread. They look enormous and it's going to scare it off. So, Mm -hmm. but it's also very possible that this was, I don't think it was a bald eagle that went after this kid or allegedly went after this kid because, you know, the white head would give it away. But it's also possible that maybe they were defending a nest or they were, you know, they're like, fuck it. Let's give it a shot. This kid, you know, he looks delicious. Mm-hmm. But it's very possible that they <laughs> grabbed his shirt and they were like pulling the shirt up. And maybe, you know, the boy felt like he was being picked up. And it kind of looked like it to the other people because the shirt was being pulled up off of his back. But I don't, who, who can say? I mean, only the people that were there know what happened, and it could be all fake. But I don't know. The man now, Marlin, sticks to his story, and I saw an interview with him on Monster Quest when they were talking about giant raptors, and he still sticks to his story. And I'm sure if of peregrine falcon that weighs, you know, four pounds swoops down on you it's going to be scary as hell whether you think you're going to be carried off or just stabbed with six two inch talons it's it's pretty pretty scary so i don't know final thoughts
1: you're talking about you know a four pound bird coming at you can be pretty scary Mm -hmm. Uh, i was looking up what a nine millimeter nato round weighs Mm -hmm. it's about seven grams
0: Mm -hmm. so
1: (laughs) it's It's not like a bullet and a bird are the same thing, but like something light, you know, even hitting you at a really high rate of speed. And that's sharp, like with talons and beaks and whatever else. Yeah. Not not good. Not fun. No. I don't know. I'm thinking about whether or not I buy the story, which is, I guess, what I do at the end of every one of these episodes. But... Sure. I don't know. I, I generally think that there's, with most myths like this or legends or whatever that there's some grain of truth to it. Sure. And what that is, I don't know. And the fact that the painting that we have now is just a reproduction of the carvings that were originally there,
0: Mm
1: you know, it's a matter of of how accurately that was reproduced. Mm
0: -hmm. Because
1: it could be that there are more realistic features on the original carving, but I would assume... I mean, people were documenting stuff they may not have been as good at it back then as they are now you know sure
0: and there was no photographs right so it's everything is somebody's interpretation
1: yeah I'm kind of thinking of like the old school archaeologists who would use dynamite to blow their way into tombs and things like that Yeah. I mean but I would assume that the folks who were documenting this stuff drew it as accurately as they could and then it was reproduced as accurately as it could be
0: Mm mm-hmm Well, I look at it as the Native Americans, and I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush or generalize too much, but from what I do know, all the tribes in the Americas were very spiritual. And it's also possible that this was a spirit animal that was being described, not an actual beast. I think it's safe to say that what's up there now, human head, antlers, dragon body, eagle eagle wings, and the 27-foot tail or whatever it measures out to, you'll see in the cover art, but probably didn't exist. And, you know, if, if you're not trained you could look at a pile of bones and it could be a a mountain lion killed a deer and obviously didn't eat the antlers so you find the antlers well maybe this mountain lion also killed a bear cub and ate that and you find bear bones and then maybe there was a vulture that tried to scare this cat off of its kill and it killed the vulture and ate it so you find wings and then you find all this stuff mixed together in one spot and then you say ah it must have been a human-faced deer antler dragon body tiger beard eagle winged fish-tailed beast and there you have it there's the birth of a legend
1: that was that was not my nickname in high school that was very impressive that you were able to rattle all that off in one attempt.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's a great story. And it's a cool legend, especially for a, a suburb of St. Louis that now is a decent-sized town. It's, you know, they probably have their high school mascot is the Piasaw. Like you said, you see it on businesses and stuff like that. So it's, it's a cool story. I am not going to say that these tribes made it up or they were mistaken because we just don't know. And somebody tomorrow could discover the humerus of a bird that is six foot long and then, oh, that changes everything. But as of right now, I don't think we have enough information to say that this was an actual beast, that this was an actual creature, not an amalgam of other legends, other stories, or like I said, a kill site that has all these different things. Because, you know, everybody laughs at dragons. Well, guess what? Then we find dinosaur bones. Maybe these people found dinosaur bones and they're like, well, there's dragons. I mean, that would make sense to me. You know, in the 1600s 1300s whatever but i don't know i'm gonna have to side on this is just a legend
1: yeah i think i agree i like the idea that it could be a spiritual thing or maybe something that somebody saw in like a vision or some sort of Mm -hmm. induced hallucinatory experience or like an out-of-body experience or something like that That it's maybe representative of something else. You know, I mean, we're Mm -hmm. talking about legends written by not the tribe, right? Right. We're talking about a story written by somebody else who came in after the fact and was like, oh, look at this big fucking crazy bird.
0: And who knows what's lost in translation between the, you know, two groups of people too.
1: Right. Or how much information was really taken from the original group who made that carving. True. You know, it's totally possible that this is representative of some some other enemy that they encountered you know maybe they mm-hmm. I don't know it could be anything it could be disease you know they overcame some disease and they it was so fearsome that they embodied it in this creature sure.
0: like the Grim Reaper yeah well go check out the actual current painting or art of the Piasa in Alton on your way to the loading bar and get your arcade fix on there. Don't forget to check out Exploring Evil and Movie Hell. And for God's sake, subscribe, please. Send us case suggestions at podcast at gmail.com. And have beautiful nightmares. Good night, Crypt Keepers. We'll see you next week. All right. I'm
1: going to send you a picture real quick if I can. Just a. Sexy. An image of the Piasaw that's used in a gun shop that I go to.
0: Mm hmm. I used to have a Piasaw ashtray. I didn't smoke, but I bought the ashtray at a swap meet, and it was kind of cool. So, there's that. Who knows? They found pig face sharks and, you know, all kinds of weird shit, so. Pig face sharks? Yeah yeah dude there's these weird looking sharks well have you ever seen a goblin shark yeah you should you should look at that that's pretty crazy yeah, but yeah just google like pig face sharks that's craziness they could be um, photoshopped i guess but you know